welcome back to Man It Is, the only true crime podcast on the internet where all the killers are real animals. I'm your host, James, and it is finally the day. The day has finally arrived. We are doing it. We've been talking about this for, well, for months, it feels like, um, since before I went overseas, since before uh, my little hiatus. It is finally time for us to once and for all cover the life, the death, the man, the myth, the legend, Jim James Corbett. Um, it is someone that we've talked about numerous times on this podcast, including, you know, the very first episode of the show. Um, Jim Corbett, uh, probably one of the most, if not the most uh, famous, uh, you know, big game hunter of all time. Um, he is responsible for taking down uh, numerous animals that have made their way onto the top 10 kill list for man-eater in, man-eaters in history. Um, mostly big cats, well, <laughs> all big cats, mostly tigers and leopards. Um, he lived an incredible life, um, a really interesting life, but his life was very complicated in a lot of ways as well. Um, we're going to cover that all today. So we are going to be listening to the story of Jim Corbett, um, what he did throughout his life in India and Africa, and I believe he went to Europe at some points as well. Um, we are going to look back at some of the episodes that we've recorded in the past year that focused on Jim Corbett's uh, hunts throughout his life. We'll also be talking about a new story um, that we haven't covered before, uh, leading up to how this great man passed away. So if you have been listening to the show for a while, this episode sort of counts as a bit of a closing of a chapter. Episode 25, a quarter of a century, if you can believe it. Um, we're treating this as sort of a end of chapter one, I guess. It's not a new season, anything like that, um, but I might be trying some new things going forward, like I mentioned last week, new formats of episodes, um, Killer Cryptids, Man Eater Movies coming up, uh, and I might just be trying some new stuff with with how um, I research and record and, and uh, present these regular Man Eater episodes, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? It's been a great 25 episodes. I can't wait to do the, re- the next 25, um, and so here we go. Um, as I always seem to say, it's a bit of a crutch. I don't mean to do it. I always seem to say sit back and relax uh, but this time I really do mean it sit back and relax as we listen to the story of the man the myth the legend Jim Corbett Edward James Corbett was born in the Indian town of Nainital in the Camoan region of Utakhand. his parents were Christopher William Corbett and Mary Jane Corbett After Christopher Corbett left the army and was named postmaster of Nainital in India, his parents relocated there in 1862. The family used to spend the winters in the foothills, where they owned a home called Orundal, which is now known as Kalahundi. Mary Jane was a powerful figure in European social life in Nangatal, and she served as a sort of real estate agent for European settlers. In 1875, Christopher William gave up his position as postmaster. On April the 21st of 1881, he died a few weeks after suffering a heart attack. When Jim was six years old, his elder brother Tom became the new postmaster of Nanatal. Jim had always been attracted by the forests and wildlife in his surrounding house. He learned to recognize most of the animals and birds by their cries during regular exhibitions. He improved his skills as a tracker and hunter over time. He attended Oak Opening School in Nenital, which combined with Philander Smith College to form the Hawat War School, which is today known as Birla Vidya Mundar. He dropped out of school at the age of 19 and went to work for the Bengal and Northwestern Railway, 
Railway, first as a fuel inspector and then as a contractor for the transshipment of goods across the Ganga at Mokhamgar, Bihar. At Mokhamgar, Jim Corbett establishes school for railway employees. Through his life, Corbett shot and killed several leopards and tigers, approximately a dozen of which were well-known man-eaters. In his novels, Man-Eaters of Kamoan, The Man-Eating Leopard of Rudra Prayag, The Temple Tiger, and More Man-Eaters of Kamoan, Corbett presented estimates of human casualties. According to Jim, these large cats killed about 1,200 men, women, and children based on totals from various tales. There are some inconsistencies in the official human mortality figures kept on records by the British and Indian governments and Corbett's calculations. The first confirmed man-eating tiger he killed, the Chumpawet tiger, was responsible for an estimated 436 documented deaths. It's the end of the 1800s and a new century is about to dawn in Nepal. In a village called Rapal, a serial killer, the likes of which the world had never seen before, emerges. Over the course of the next seven years, this individual would take the life of an estimated 436 people. The villagers in the area would panic and lock down, workers would refuse to leave their houses, and armies were brought in to try and stop the wave of killings. This deadly serial killer wasn't a man. It wasn't even a human. This is the story of the deadliest man-eater of all time, the Chumpawat Tiger. Chumpawat, also known as the Chumpawat Tigress and the Demon of Chumpawat, was a female Bengal tiger whose territory initially was located in the village of Rupal, which is situated in West Nepal in the Himalayas. Tigers were common in the area, and although they were obviously feared by the villagers as they are today, generally there was a peaceful cohabitation between the people and the big cats. However, this all changed when a spate of tiger attacks occurred in the region in the final years of the 19th century. Professional hunters were called in to track the tiger down, but it evaded all their patrols and the killings continued. Eventually, the government sent in the Nepalese army to deal with the situation. After failing to capture or even contain the tiger, a massive bush beat was organised. Now, a beat otherwise known as a patrol is a collection of military personnel, law enforcement and private contractors. This beat managed to track the tiger and force her out of her territory across the river Sada. Now, this was inarguably great news for the people of Rapal who could now rest easy knowing that this tiger was no longer a threat to them. It was not, however, a great day for the people of the Kamoan district in India. The tiger, for lack of a better term, set up shop in this new territory, and after dealing with the hunters and the army's patrols, the Chumpawat tiger adjusted its hunting behaviour. She learned how to best hunt and evade humans. She would travel great distances between kills, traveling between villages sometimes up to 32 kilometers apart, and always at night to avoid suspicion. She would ambush a victim, consume them, and then move to a different village in the area to avoid unwanted human contact. The behavior she adapted was more typical of that of a Sumatran tiger. As she became more familiar with the area, her territory grew larger, containing many villages in the Kamoan region. The town of Champawat was located pretty close to the centre of her new territory. She went on to kill hundreds of villagers in India, most of them women and children, who became easy targets as they were often the ones who would travel outside the villages into the jungle to forest for firewood, crafting materials and food for livestock. The demon of Champawat always killed during the day, behaviour which according to experts tracks for man-eating tigers. In fact, according to Jim Corbett, a person we will talk about very soon, he is not familiar with a single case of a man-eating tiger killing in the night. 
that regardless of the time of day, the men in the villages often refused to leave for work and the communities came to a standstill. Life became paralysed and the people would flee indoors after hearing the monster's roars from the forest. Eventually, all of this piqued the interest of a very exciting character. Jim Corbett was a British naturalist, tracker, hunter and author who was actually born in the Camoan region of India. A colonel in the British Indian Army, Corbett was frequently hired by the government for his skill at tracking big cats. Corbett would become a legendary hunter who took down several man-eaters in the years to follow. In 1907, Corbett travelled to the Champawat region and interviewed the villagers to get as much information as he could. One day, a 16-year-old girl named Premka Devi was attacked and killed by the tiger in the village of Fungar. The cat left a trail of blood which Jim followed. He tracked the cat for several days and eventually came across the remains of yet another victim. As Jim closed in to examine the body, he was ambushed by the tiger. He likely would have been killed but he managed to scare the demon away with two shots from his rifle. Now realising the mission was becoming too dangerous, he abandoned the hunt and decided to come up with a new plan. Over the next few weeks, with the help of a tax officer from Champawat, Corbett organised yet another massive beat to try and finally capture or kill the tiger once and for all. Eventually, they had amassed over 300 villagers and the next day the group set out to end the killings. The group swept through the Champa River Gorge and within a day, they had come across the tiger. Corbett approached and fired twice, hitting the cat in the chest and the shoulder. These shots weren't enough to bring her down and the cat prepared to charge. Out of bullets, Jim grabbed the tax officer's rifle and fired once, hitting her in the foot. The tiger collapsed, a mere six meters in front of the men. At last, after seven years and 436 deaths, the Champawat tiger was dead. A post-mortem of the tiger was performed and it showed that the tiger's upper and lower canine teeth on its right side were broken. Corbett said that the injury was likely the result of a gunshot wound earlier in its life and the lack of functional canine teeth probably forced the tiger to abandon its natural prey and take up hunting humans instead. Apart from the broken teeth, Corbett stated that the tiger was otherwise in perfect health and estimated her to be between 10 and 12 years of age. Jim Corbett would go on to become the most well-known hunter of big cats. He got plenty of work. The Chumpawat cat would be the first of many man-eaters he would kill in a 30-year career. During the 20th century, deforestation forced many tigers and leopards in India into smaller and smaller pockets of territory and diminished their food chains. Unable to hunt the prey that they relied on, many big cats turned to hunting humans. Ironically, it was human actions that led to the rise of the Chumpawat cat and to the death of 436 men, women and children. Had it not been for the hunters and for deforestation, this story likely would have gone a very different way. The town of Champawat today has a population of over 5,000 people. Near the Chittar Bridge and on the way to Longat, there is a cement board marking the place where the tigress was finally brought down. It is of these people who are admittedly poor and who are often described as India's starving millions, among whom I have lived and whom I love, that I shall endeavour to tell in the pages of this book, which I humbly dedicate to my friends, the poor of India. He writes in his dedication, Profits from the publication of Mandy's of Camoan went to St. Dunstan's, a blind veteran's training school. Though most of his kills were on tigers, Corbett did successfully kill at least two man-eating leopards, the first of which was the Panar leopard in 1910, which allegedly killed more than 400 people. (laughs) 
The leopard of Panar, or the Panar man-eater, was a male leopard that lived in northern India. Following an outbreak of cholera, the big cat began consuming human flesh from the many diseased corpses scattered throughout the forests. When the cholera epidemic ended and the corpses stopped, he began hunting live humans. The Leopard of Pinar killed more than 400 people in the early 20th century and is one of the most prolific serial killer big cats in recorded history, second only to the great tigress Champawat, which lived in the area around the same time. Jim Corbett, who we have covered before in episode 1, wrote this. A leopard, in an area in which his natural food is scarce, finding these bodies very soon acquires a taste for human flesh. And when the disease dies down and normal conditions are established, he very naturally, upon finding his food supply cut off, takes to killing human beings. For many years, the villagers tried to hunt and trap the demon cat, but to no avail. Panar's man-eating leopard could recognize traps and was a master of camouflage and stealth. He was rarely seen until he struck, and sometimes dragged people away from their homes directly in front of their loved ones. Jim Corbett was a famous big cat hunter. He first heard of the man-eating Pinar leopard while hunting the tigress Champawat. Two years after he heard this, he was in Pinar in search of the leopard. Corbett travelled to the area and began to track the large male leopard. Visitors took him to the house of a distressed man whose wife had been attacked the night before. The two spent the night with a leopard at the door. It was trying to force its way in to finish the kill. Of this attack, Jim Corbett wrote the following. The man's wife, a girl of about 18, was lying on her back when the leopard clamped its teeth into her throat, and when the man got a grip of her arm and started to pull her back, the leopard, to get a better purchase, drove the claws of one paw into her breast. In the final struggle, the claws ripped through the flesh, making four deep cuts. In the heat of a small room, which had only one door and no windows, and in which a swarm of flies were buzzing all around the wounds in the girl's throat and on her breast, it had turned septic, and whether medical aid could be procured or not, the chances of her surviving were very slight. So instead of going for help, I decided to stay the night with the man. I very much sincerely hope that no one who reads this story will ever be condemned to seeing or hearing the sufferings of a human being or of any animal that has had the misfortune of being caught by the throat by either a leopard or a tiger and not having the means, other than a bullet, of alleviating the suffering. Leopards usually attack the neck or back of their prey. A leopard's bite can injure or even destroy jugular veins and carotid, or and carotid arteries causing rapid blood loss. The spine is commonly crushed and the skull may also be punctured, exposing the brain. Attack survivors usually suffer significant trauma to the head, neck, and face. Leopards also like to hold their prey in trees and return to the corpse over time. As a result, leopards have a lot of bacteria in their mouths. Before the discovery of antibiotics, 70% of survivors would have died from this infection. Corbett made his first attempt to kill the Panar Man-Eater in April of 1910, when he remained awake all night listening to the painful breath of the dying girl. The only sign of a roaming leopard was the alarm cry of jackals in the area. His second attempt did not take place until September of 1910. Corbett travelled 30 miles through the rainforest to remote villages plagued by leprosy, connected only by trails. There he came to know about the recent attacks on a village across the river. By walking up the hills, crossing a raging river without bridges, and sleeping in the open field in the leopard's territory, Corbett reached the village. 
The most recent attacks took place here. Four people were killed. To woo Pinar's leopard, Corbett put two goats on a stake and lay in wait. The big cat took the first goat and disappeared. Then, then three days later, Corbett tied the second goat to a tree about a hundred feet away and waited all day and all night. When the leopard finally appeared, the only sign that it made was the sound of killing its prey and a small patch of white goat's fur. Using his sense of hearing alone, he fired his shotgun and wounded the big cat, but it ran away. Corbett then found a group of men and asked them to stand behind him with lit torches. He made every man promise to him that they would not run, so he would have enough torchlight to aim at the injured cat. They walked across the field and started brushing the other side. There, suddenly, the great man-eater came out of the brushwood and hissed at the famous hunter. Everyone turned and immediately ran away, but luckily, one of them dropped their torch in the middle of the air, giving Corbett enough time and light to shoot the leopard in the chest, ending its reign of terror. When hunting dangerous wildlife, Corbett preferred to hunt alone and on foot. He frequently went hunting with Robin, a little dog about whom he described in Manities of Camoan. In the late 1920s, Corbett purchased his first camera and began filming tigers, inspired by his friend Frederick Walter Champion. Despite his extensive understanding of the jungles, obtaining nice photographs was a difficult challenge due to the leopard's extreme shyness. One of the animals that displayed said shyness was the legendary leopard of Rudra Prayag. The leopard of Rudra Prayag was a man-eating leopard that terrorized villages in India between 1918 and 1926. The big cat would ultimately be responsible for at least 125 deaths, but experts, including the man who killed it, speculate that the real number was likely much higher. The Rudra Prayag leopard would eventually go down as one of the most famous big cat man-eaters in the world, and would also end up as one of the top 10 most prolific man-eaters in history by death toll. The leopard's first victim was from Benji village in 1918. Benji is a small town on the pilgrim trail. Shivering, a country woman awoke to witness an animal slowly emerging from her hut. When she and her husband were brave enough to light a lamp, they discovered their seven-year-old son was gone. Even though they had just a glimpse of the animal, it was enough for them to identify it as a man-eating leopard. Like many man-eating big cats we've discussed, the leopard prefers to hunt at night, often attacking those with their backs turned. Experts in camouflage and stalking their prey, it's almost impossible for a person to know they're being watched until it's too late. What makes the leopard of Rudra Prayag unique is the lengths it would go to to secure a kill. The leopard, or the scourge as it became known in the area, would regularly break down doors, leap through windows, scratch through the mud or thatch walls of homes, and drag humans out of them. It would then maul and kill the victims, often using their massive fangs to penetrate the skull or cut the brainstem, causing death. The leopard tended to prefer fresh meat, so it would often only drag the corpse a short way away before devouring it. Over the next eight years, the leopard would go on to kill 125 people, however, that number is likely higher due to the number of deaths that go unreported. People were scared to travel alone at night on the road to the Hindu holy temples for the following eight years because it travelled through the leopard's country, and few peasants left their homes after dark. 
Gurkha and British soldiers were dispatched to chase it down, but they were unsuccessful. High-powered gin traps and poisons were also employed, but were unsuccessful in killing the leopard. Several well-known hunters attempted to capture leopard, and the British government offered monetary incentives for its capture. All of this failed, however, miserably. Eventually, legendary big cat hunter Jim Corbett took it upon himself to kill the leopard in the autumn of 1925. Corbett, who was now well into his 50s, arrived for the hunt with his favourite rifle, a 275 John Rigby's, which he had recently received as a present for killing the Chumpawad Maneater in 1907. The leopard, though, avoided Corbett for the next year and a half. Corbett landed in Banswara village in April 1926. Banswara is a peaceful village a century later, appearing only to be 29 kilometres away from the Rudraprayag district seat. Banswara is nestled amongst terrace fields and hills with only a few contemporary conveniences such as smartphones, TV antennas, and recently indoor sanitation. A hundred years ago, Corbett travelled to this location because it is where the leopard had just slain a 12-year-old boy. While walking to obtain water from the village's single water pump, the boy was attacked while travelling behind his mother and sister. What offence had my son committed? The mother <clears throat> the mother inquired, desperately seeking closure. Corbett notes that he was not able to give an answer, so he stayed silent. Jim Corbett's attempt to trap the leopard was rebuffed three times on April 14th, 1926, due to faulty equipment, ineptitude from his assistants, or from the leopard's seemingly supernatural skill at avoiding detection. Corbett then followed this leopard to the village of Chopra, which was only accessible via a thin, rocky path. Between 1918 and 1926, the leopard would annihilate six people in Chopra. In his biography, Jim Corbett noted that his concern for the rapidly changing forests in the region. He, the escalating deforestation as well as the introduction of foreign, quick-going trees in the area, he believed was a contributing factor in the problem of man-eating cats. He even wrote in the first landmark issue of Indian Wildlife magazine, Stop, you fools stop. When night came, an ominous silence brooded over the whole area. The entire population was behind fast closed doors, and all were silent for fear of attracting the dreaded man-eater. This excerpt is taken from chapter 3 of the Camoan Man-Eaters, the Man-Eaters of Camoan, which is Jim Corbett's biography, which details many of the big cats he killed, including the leopard of Rudraprayag. Corbett continued to have bad luck hunting for the cat until 1926 when he identified a dirt track that had provided very little tree cover that the leopard seemed to frequent. Corbett set up a perch in a tree and left a live goat tied up on the trail. For a week, Corbett spent sleepless nights in the perch waiting for the leopard to show. On May 2nd, 1926, the leopard appeared and attacked the goat, viciously killing it. Corbett took aim with his rifle and placed a single shot to the heart of the leopard. The big cat was confirmed to be the leopard of Rudraprayag. While the Rudraprayag leopard was discovered to be in relatively good health when it was finally slain, it was an aged specimen with receding gums and a number of healed gunshot wounds sustained by unsuccessful hunters when it was killed. Unusual... <clears throat> Usually, damage to the teeth or legs can cause an animal to turn on humans since they are unable to catch their usual prey, which may have been the case here. 
Corbett proposed a different idea, claiming the animal developed a taste for human flesh after feasting on the numerous bodies left over after the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic that swept through India. When the sickness died out and the leopard's new food supply was cut off, the leopard resorted to targeting live humans. The Leopard of Panar, another prolific man-eating leopard killed by Corbett, is believed to have started attacking in a similar condition after a cholera outbreak killed significant numbers of people in northern India. Today, leopards are on the endangered species list and are rarely ever seen in the Rudra Prayag region. Many villages in the area reportedly lament this fact, claiming that in their absence the wild boar population has exploded and the pigs cause extreme damage to crops and property, as well as occasionally attacking and killing humans. At the exact spot that the leopard of Rudra Prayag was killed, there is a gravestone that says, On this very spot was killed the man-eating leopard of Rudra Prayag by Jim Corbett on the 2nd of May, 1926. There is also a sign which denotes how many people were killed each year, and a recreation of the platform that Corbett used to snipe the cat. The sign claims the following fatalities. 1918, one fatality. 1919, three fatalities. 1920, six fatalities. 1921, 23 fatalities. 1922, 24 fatalities. 1923, 26 fatalities. 1924, 20 fatalities. 1925, 8 fatalities. And finally in 1926, 14 fatalities. This all adds up to a total of 125 people's lives that were cut short by a man-eating leopard from Rudra Prayag. The Leopard of Panar, the Leopard of Rudra Prayag, and the Man-Eating Tiger of Champawat are three of his best-known kills. However, he also was known for taking down the Teladas Man-Eater, the Mohan Man-Eater, the Tuk Man-Eater, the Musahar Man-Eater, and the Chagra Tigris. These animals were among other renowned man-eaters he did track and kill. Most of the man-eaters had sickness or wounds, such as porcupine quills implanted deep in the skin or unhealed bullet wounds, according to analysis of carcasses, skulls, and preserved bones, such as the Muksar man-eater. When Corbett skinned the Tuck man-eating tigress, he discovered two previous bullet wounds in her shoulder, one of which had gone infected and could have been the cause of the tigress becoming a man-eater, according to Corbett. Corbett writes in the foreword to managers of Camoan. The wound that has caused a particular tiger to take to man-eating might be the result of a carelessly fired shot and failure to follow up and recover the wounded animal, or be the result of the tiger having lost his temper while killing a, a porcupine. According to common belief, Corbett never killed a tiger unless it was confirmed to be a man-eater. This is, however, a misconception. Corbett, for example, killed the extremely huge and sought-after Bachelor of Palagar, despite the fact that this tiger had never confirmed to kill a human. This is the story of the Bachelor of Palagar. The Bachelor of Palagar, sometimes known as the King of Palagar, was a huge Bengal tiger with a reported length of 3.23 metres. The male tiger was the most sought-after big game trophy in the United Provinces from 1920 to 1930. In the winter of 1930, Hunter Jim Corbett shot the tiger and later described the events in his 1944 book, The Man-Eaters of Camoan. The tiger was initially discovered by Corbett in a deep, steep valley within a protected hideaway in 1923. 
government regulations restricted nighttime shooting, which unintentionally aided the tiger's survival. Commissioner Windham and two other expert shikaris accompanied Corbett to inspect the tiger's pug markings. Windham estimated the tiger's length to be 10 feet, or 3 meters, after the four studied the measurements of the pug marks. Over the hind legs, one shigari claimed it to be 10 feet tall, while another claimed it to be 10, points, 10 foot 6 or taller. All four remarked that they had never seen pug marks that large before. Many attempts had been made to capture the animal before Corbett, but no one had ever shot him. Fred Anderson and Hushi Idi, two well-known hunters, came close, but their failures were due to sight errors on their rifles. The tiger was characterized as a big pony by Anderson and as big as a donkey by Idia. The bachelor was a sharatan, the Hindu word for demon, of a tiger the size of a camel according to a herder and former poacher who was attacked by the tiger. Corbett and his sister measured the tiger's body twice, seven years after the commissioner measured the pugmars, albeit without independent witnesses pr present to authenticate the measurements. They measured 3.23 meters over the curves of its back. Corbett went on his first tiger hunt in the winter of 1930, accompanied by his dog, Robin. He went east to a well-wooded valley, following the words of an elderly dak runner who swore he spotted the largest pug marks he'd ever seen. Robin detected the scent of a tiger the next morning, while Jim spotted enormous fresh pug marks. Robin found the tiger 50 yards away, in a patch of grass that was 40 yards broad. Corbett spotted the patch swaying as he picked up Robin and walked gently into the plants. Corbett moved closer with his rifle drawn after waiting for the tiger to exit the thicket, but the tiger was nowhere to be seen. The animal had then moved to the left, into a deep and narrow ravine as Robert indicated. Corbett and the dog returned home since they were unprepared to face the tiger in close quarters, and it was breakfast time. Corbett reappeared alone after breakfast, this time equipped with a 450 caliber rifle. He heard yelling and went up a tree to find a man brandishing an axe and screaming. The man informed Corbett that he had just arrived in time to save him and his buffaloes from a camel-sized tiger that had been threatening the herder for hours. After safely returning him to his house, the man begged Corbett to kill the tiger, which he claimed was large enough to consume a buffalo every day and would wipe out his livestock in 25 minutes. Corbett told the man that he would try his best. Corbett then heard the calls of the bachelor looking for a mate as he returned to the grasslands where he'd led the herder's buffalo. In response, Corbett replicated a tiger call and lay down in the open on his elbows, waiting for a tiger to appear. The bachelor called back from a hundred yards distant when Corbett issued another tiger cry. The tiger's head came above the shrubs four feet, 1.3 meters high, within 10 meters to Corbett's right and looked directly at him 80 seconds later. Corbett slowly turned his weapon and fired a single shot at the tiger just under its right eye. Instead of dying, which Jim had hoped, the enormous cat leapt into the air, well over the shrubs, and then attacked the tree next to him, ripping it to shreds while screaming. Knowing that the tiger was now aware of its location, Corbett was afraid to reload his weapon for fear of attracting the bachelor's notice. He stayed still on the ground for half an hour, until the roaring subdued and the branches of the trees and neighbouring shrubs ceased waving. 
After the thrashing stopped, Corbett waited for yet another 30 minutes before cautiously moving 30 yards backwards and seeking safety in a nearby tree. Corbett left for his house after a few more minutes when he was convinced the tiger had vanished. The next morning, Corbett and one of his men, an excellent tree climber, returned to the location. This man climbed a tree after reaching the open grounds, noting several crushed shrubs but no evidence of a tiger. Corbett then told the man in the tree to keep an eye on him while he searched the ground. Corbett discovered blood all over the place around the tree, as well as two enormous pools of blood and a two square inch chunk of bone that was determined to be a piece of the tiger's head. Corbett fired dozens of shots into the bushes near a bloodstained tree, but to no use. A wounded tiger might howl or charge after hearing a gunshot. Unable to locate the tiger within, Corbett and the man went home. The herder that Jim had saved a few days earlier approached him in the morning. He learned that the tiger had been shot in the head and determined that the tiger was dead after his buffaloes discovered dry blood marks. Jim accepted his offer to utilize the buffalo's excellent sense of smell to locate the tiger's body, which Corbett agreed to. Corbett saw a depression filled with dead leaves, flattened with area, areas of blood around it, when he returned to the spot where he shot the tiger. Corbett correctly deduced that the bachelor had been lying in an identical spot the day before while he was shooting rounds into the thicket. Corbett told the herder that the next day he would go in alone in search of the wounded tiger. Jim Corbett discovered pug marks of a large male tiger after four days of roaming the bush. Corbett discovered a tiger hiding behind a tree with only a leg poking out after zigzagging through neighboring shrubs for an hour or so. Corbett decided not to shoot the tiger at the time because there was another tiger in the neighborhood and he didn't want to deal with two wounded tigers. The tiger then backed up. Corbett discovered blood drips while investigating the location where the tiger had been standing, confirming it had been the bachelor all along. Corbett heard a sandbar cry and then heard dried twigs being crushed in the same position as the sound, which was a busy bush area, while attempting to track down the tiger. Corbett glimpsed something red through the bushes while crawling on the ground. He looked up from his crawling two yards to the right to see a tiger in front of him, staring him down. After firing two bullets, the tiger dropped silently onto its side, putting an end to the hunt for the province's most coveted trophy of the decade. Corbett didn't have to look at this tiger's pug marks to figure out that it was indeed the bachelor, because his dimensions were astounding. A wrinkle of skin on the front of his head concealed a bullet wound from four days ago, but the rear of his head had a large hole that was unexpectedly clean and healthy. Knowing his weapon had been heard, Corbett rushed home to calm the villagers and arrange a carrying party. He then returned to the tiger's lair with his sister. With his sister, Seven years after Wyndham and his crew measured the tiger, Corbett measured it again, once on the spot and once at home. Corbett and his sister reported the tiger to indeed be 3.23 meters in length. After 1947, Corbett and his sister Maggie retired to Nyeri, Kenya, where he lived in the cottage Pakstu in the grounds of the Hotel Outspan, which had originally been built for his friend Lord Baden-Powell. He continued to write and sound the alarm on the declining numbers of wildcats and other wildlife. Corbett was at the treetops, a hut built in the branches of a giant ficus tree as a bodyguard of Princess Elizabeth, where she stayed there on the 5th and 6th of February 1952. That night, her father, King George, died, 
and Elizabeth ascended to the throne. Corbett wrote in the hotel's visitor's register, For the first time in the history of the world, a young girl climbed into a tree one day as a princess, and after what she had described as her most thrilling experience, climbed down from that tree the next day a queen. Corbett died of a heart attack a few days after he finished his sixth book, Treetops, and was buried at St. Peter's and was buried at St. Peter's Anglican Church in Yeary. His legacy is kept intact in the form of the meeting place Moti House, which Corbett had built for his friend Moti Singh and the Corbett Wall, a long wall approximately 7.2 kilometres long, built around the village to protect crops from wild animals. The Man-Eaters of Kumoan was a great success in India, the United Kingdom and the US, the first edition of the American Book of the Month Club being 250 copies sold. It was later translated into 27 languages. Corbett's fourth book, Jungle Lore, is considered by many to be his autobiography. The Jim Corbett National Park in India was renamed in his honour in 1957. He had played a key role in establishing this protected area in the 1930s. In 1968, one of the five remaining subspecies of tiger was named after him, Panthara tigris corbetti, the Indo-Chinese tiger is now also known as the Corbett Tiger. In 1994 and 2002, the long-neglected graves of Corbett and his sister Maggie, both in Kenya, were repaired and restored by Jerry A. Jahal, founder and director of the Jim Corbett Foundation. That is the story of Jim Corbett. Um, Some people would view him as a hero, others would view him as nothing more than a a bloodthirsty animal murderer. Um, I would lean towards being in more of the first group. If you read anything of what Jim Corbett wrote, he was he was a conservationist. He was a naturalist. Um, he did kill animals that weren't man eaters. There's there's no disputing that. Um, but you've got to remember at the time and place that he lived. You know, tigers weren't something that people looked up to. They were something that people feared. And I think that um, you know, if there was a massive tiger around your village people would rather it be taken care of before it started killing people and not after it managed to kill 436 like the Champawat tiger. Some really interesting facts in that story. The one that sticks out to me a lot was just his... I've spoken about this before. I love when these animal attack stories, just through coincidence, they line up with world events. The fact that when Princess Elizabeth became Queen Elizabeth, or I guess when her father died and she knew that she would ascend to the throne, um, he was her bodyguard at this um, hotel in in uh, Kenya. Uh, I'm sure you've seen the one, you know the one where it's like in the big trees, the treetops hotel? It's quite famous and it's very beautiful and uh, that's somewhere I'd love to stay one day. But he was staying there and was just her bodyguard. It's a very interesting fact. Um, you know, my perception of Jim is that he was probably a really good guy. Um, a lot of people, the history of the UK, or I should say England and India, is very complex um, and not worth getting into right now. But, you know, it's worth noting, Jim was, he was really more Indian than he was British. You know, he was a, he was a UK citizen, but he was born in India. He grew up in India, he hunted big cats in India, and then he moved to Africa for his retirement and passed away in Africa. He really never was European in that traditional sense. Um, the people of India were his people. Um, and I think that he he lived up to that. Th- he lived up to that, really. Um, 
and the people of India loved him. The fact that the, the, there's an Indian man who runs the Jim Corbett Foundation, he is really revered in, in that area of the world, especially in the areas where he, he, you know, potentially prevented hundreds of deaths after taking down these big cats like the Champwat, the Leopard of Panar, and the Leopard of Rudra Prayag, as well as the Bachelor of Padakar. And I don't think I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I don't care. Um, no catch of the day, no, no scratch of the day today, folks. Um, I just want to leave it there and uh, say thank you for listening. Uh, as always, you know, the Patreon is there if you want to join in there. Little shout out to our Crocodile Tier patron, Dawn, if you'd like to join her and get a shout out every couple episodes, please do. Also, there are a bunch of other tiers you can subscribe to, five bucks a month if you want. But again, no no pressure. You don't have to do that. Follow us on all the social media bullshit. Uh, and yes, if you have any suggestions of man-eating stories or killer cryptids or man-eating movies you'd like me to talk about or review, please send them. The email is in the description, as is all the other social media links. And the last thing I'll say... Um, to wrap up what is probably going to be the longest episode of Manage by far is thank you so much for listening. Um, I know it's only 25 episodes and most podcasts have hundreds of episodes. I just want to say I didn't think it would be going for this long. I, I really didn't think anyone, I would, I would find an audience, uh, especially an international audience. I know a lot of, uh, like about 60% of the audience is American. So I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my fart. Uh, I hope you keep listening. Some really exciting stuff coming up around the corner. Our next episode, which is the first episode of our, you know, Killer Cryptid sub-series, uh, we're talking about the Mothman. Um, and interestingly enough, the Mothman story, it, there, are, there are actual deaths involved in this cryptid story uh you'll have to tune in next week to find out so until then stay safe thank you so much i hope you have a great week and uh as always please stay safe out there because as we've learned it's a jungle out there